Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. In today's episode, we're going to learn more about the Corps efforts pertaining to remote lock operations with Tiffany Burroughs and Michael Tarpey. So Angie, I think this remote lock operations is a really cool topic. I, I know I went to Korea one time and I saw that they do a bunch of remote operations on their water facilities there. And I've heard of others going to Europe and they said that they've gone on cruises and gone through locks and, you know, haven't seen a person. Uh, they're all remotely operated uh, from what I understand. So it's going to be really interesting to hear what progress the Corps has made in this and what the Corps' intention is. Um, but I know you living near the river in Rock Island. I'm not sure what your perspective is. Yeah, I live um, fairly close to one of the locks, and it it would be interesting to uh, hear what we're thinking about in terms of remote lock operations. And like you, I've heard others um, in other parts of the world using it, so I'm just looking forward to the discussion today. All right, well, let's get over to our guests. Tiffany and Michael, thank you for joining us today. Sure, thanks for having us. Looking forward to this opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Awesome. Well, before we get into that, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your role with the Corps? Okay, my name is uh, Tiffany Burroughs. I am the Chief of Navigation here at the USAID headquarters. My role is pretty much managing all things navigation, um, that is floating plants, uh, dredging, inland navigation, coastal navigation. Uh, we have a lot of different structures that are within our portfolio, jetties, breakwaters, locks, which is what we're here to talk about today. So very large, um, robust portfolio that we're responsible for. And as Aaron said, my name is Michael Tarpey. I've been with the Corps for about 28 years in a variety of engineering and project roles at the district and headquarters levels. I'm currently part of the headquarters team uh, working for Tiffany, and I've been leading the national assessment for lock and dam uh, remote operations since the spring of 2021. Well, thank you both for being here. I've had a pleasure to work with both of you, so I'm excited to learn more about what you've been working on. Can you tell us more about the remote lock operations? Sure. Um, so all remote lock operations is is when we um, operate a lock by a person from an off-site location, so something like a control center, and we leverage things like cameras, uh, sensors, radios, technology to safely operate the project. We always like to let people know, like, this is not automation or anything or like AI or something like that. Sometimes people associate that with remote operation. There is still um, a human that operates the facility. It's just from an off-site location, usually a central control place where they can operate multiple projects from one place. I'll add to Tiffany's answer. So, that, you know, the core, we've been doing remote operations, you know, for, for several decades and, you know, in our hydropower, as well as we've been operating locks such as Mel Price in St. Louis since the 1990s from a control room. This is a mature technology for us operating projects using technology you mentioned, cameras, sensors, radios, et cetera. The difference here is we're talking about moving that control room off-site. It'll no longer be at the project site, but it'll be somewhere nearby. That's interesting. So basically right now we have some locks facilities that are in essence operated remotely. It's just a short distance remotely. And now we're looking at expanding that capacity or the distances of those operations. Um, one kind of question is, you know, why would we want to do something like this? What are the, the benefits to the agency or navigation to moving towards remote operations? Good question. 
So we kind of started this initiative during the COVID pandemic. At the time, Youth Safe Leadership was really concerned with how navigation could potentially be disrupted or impacted by all the things going on in the world. We were already seeing delays in the supply chain and how that was impacting Americans across the, uh, the U.S. and the economy. So at this time, we kind of already discussed this opportunity and how we can make progress with it. It had kind of been stalled for some years. So at that point, we, you know, got some direction from leadership. Hey, we need to to move out um, and really make this more of a focused effort. Um, so we launched a initiative um, knowing that remote operations was already a proven technology um, that could increase resiliency and ensure continuity of operations during COVID and into the future. The answer to your question you know, about are other people doing it, uh, the answer is yes, like we mentioned or Michael mentioned earlier. Um, this is a proven technology that has been successfully demonstrated in other countries and industries. It's very common practice in countries like Canada, um, the Netherlands, Belgium, France, and Germany. And also, like Michael mentioned, we've uh, historically been remotely operating uh, several of our hydropower projects. Obviously, this is not anything new or novel. We're just attempting to gain some efficiencies and benefits from an existing technology. So you mentioned a little bit about the benefits of there being just there's consistency of somebody operating uh, when there was an emergency, say a flood, those types of things. So what are some other benefits from going remote with our lock? So really we see a major benefit with us just modernizing our infrastructure. Um, that's a major uh, priority of General Spellman. And what we want to do is put the infrastructure today in place that will help us into the future as technology continues to evolve and transform. We just want to be prepared um, and able to react for it. So the major benefit that we see right now is just modernizing our infrastructure so that we can be prepared for new technology as it evolves in the future beyond just the continuity of operations piece and being able to respond during a, an emergency. And I'll take the opportunity to expand what Tiffany's talked about and what leadership is looking at. They see this as a modernization opportunity. You know, where with the historic investments that Congress has been giving us in appropriations, uh, we want to take some of this money and modernize our facilities for the future. We don't know what that future is going to look like, but we need to start moving in a journey that way. If you take a look, you know, like less than 20 years ago, did anybody realize how the you know the cell phone the iPhone was going to revolutionize what we're doing how we you know how we communicate how we bank all those things, and so they see this as another opportunity to start investing in technology to be prepared for the future. We all know that you know automated cars are coming. We see them on the streets now, drones delivering things. So this is a similar opportunity for the core to start planning for the future. We don't know what that future is exactly, but let's invest in the technology to be ready for when the future does arrive. Thanks, Michael. I think that's interesting to, to and the good perspective on looking to the future and being ready to respond to that. One question I had in particular about, you know, locks and dams and the operations is that I believe that there's some locks and dams out there that have limited operations, either set windows or timeframes that are available. Will this technology be able to allow those locks to operate more frequently potentially? And where do you plan to implement this remote operations? So, Aaron, you asked a couple of good questions there, you know, you know, can remote technology be applied to those lower use sites that have limited windows of operation? And the answer is yes, it can. It'd be applicable in those situations. Um, in the implementation plan that we developed and was approved um, this summer, 
The initial set of locks that we're proposing to do are at the high traffic facilities where we, you know, we have a, a stronger business case to, to apply it there than the low use sites. That being said, I think, you know, as, as MSCs and districts take a look at this and their portfolio, because they know their portfolio better than, you know, the enterprise teams, they can start making those investments in, in the necessary work to prepare for a remote future at those sites. Yeah, I would just add, we're, we're still really um, early in the implementation phase. So I think as we um, continue to implement at different locations, there'll be some lessons learned and greater understanding of uh, strategically where we should focus investments on. But uh, obviously, th this would give us the opportunity to operate some of those maybe locations that are hard to get to or have low traffic and, you know, maybe see some efficiencies gained through that. So, yeah. So a lot of things that we do within the Corps of Engineers is challenging, and I'm sure this effort is is not any different. So can you talk about some of the challenges that you've come up against as you're taking a, a broader look at implementing something like this? Sure. So I think with any significant enterprise initiative, there's always going to be a challenge. Uh, it's just kind of like human behavior whenever we introduce something new, you have a few early adopters, people who are kind of excited and want to try, try something out. And then you have a group of folks who are just kind of like, hey, I'm fine with the status quo. You know, if it's not broke, why are we trying to fix it type of thing? So I'd say one of the largest challenges early on was just trying to kind of make that cultural and mindset shift. But I think, you know, we, we've been able to keep momentum and progress because we've had an excellent team and strong leadership support. So we were able to complete the first phase of this initiative on schedule this summer, despite some of the kind of early challenges to kind of gain in some momentum and, and kind of mindset shifts with, with the enterprise. Uh, I think as we move to the next phase, our goal is to safely and reliably be able to remotely operate our lot. And the first location that we're looking at doing that is in Pittsburgh district. You know, it would involve remotely operating one lock while fully staffed to ensure everything works. So this will give us the opportunity to kind of actually put boots on the ground and implement and see, you know, where some lessons learned, what can we do to change or what needs to be changed, what kind of policies need to be put in place, how does this kind of impact staffing, and be able to implement some of those things at some of the other locations. So this will be our first, we don't like to call it a pilot, but it'll be our first uh, trial run with this implementation to see um, if there are, are any other challenges and hurdles that we need to address. And then some of the other things that we know from the initiative as things that we probably want to focus our efforts on addressing is cybersecurity, which, you know, that's a hot topic across many industries right now, uh, physical security, and then communication with recreational voters. So those are some three other kind of major hurdles or challenges that uh, we acknowledge as things we kind of want to uh, focus on going forward. So, Tiffany, you said something that really caught my attention. Impact on staffing, I think, is what you said. And when I think of remote operations, the first thing I think of is kind of like control tower with like a few people that can operate a whole bunch of things. And currently we know our locks and dams are staffed with people on the ground or boots on the ground there at these facilities. So can you talk a little bit about how this will affect the personnel and the staffing at each of these locks and dam sites? Sure. And one thing that I, I also meant to mention is as a part of our plan, we want to retain manual operation um, of our loss. So should anything happen to where we need someone to be there 
on-site operating the lock, they could still be able to do that. That's an important piece of what we're doing, and I didn't want to fail to mention that. But as it relates specifically to personnel at the lock, we just want to say youth safe leadership is committed at all levels to the cold workforce. Uh, people is one of the key tenets of General Spellman's priorities, so obviously we're going to make sure we stay in alignment with that and continue to see cooperation and involvement with all of the employees as we kind of go through this process. So there will be no reduction in force, otherwise known as a risk. That's really important to say as well. We are pretty much going to try to leverage past successful workforce shaping efforts and voluntary tools as we move forward into the future. So kind of just like a natural progression of kind of making shifts on site um, with the staff. So as we transition into remote, We'll definitely have to have some staffing studies. So the different districts who select to move forward with the implementation, we'll have to do that staffing study to learn more about what the future looks like. And that will help, you know, that staffing study will help us to inform the, the strategy into the future. Definitely the district leadership will be involved. Unions will be involved. Staff will be involved. There will be, you know, maximum communication just to make sure everyone is tracking and understanding. And then another key point to point out is that this will be a transition over years. Um, it's definitely not going to be something that will just flip a switch and, you know, 2025, all of our locks will be remotely operated. Like, that's not even possible. <laughs> but as we kind of do this shift, I think it will be over years and, and possibly over decades that we'll kind of see this natural progression in the workforce, and that will go alongside with us um, implementing remote locks. And I'll expand upon, you know, Tiffany's answer and, and the implementation plan that, you know, was developed. I mean, the transition plan, the investment plan is, you know, over, you know, 20 plus years for the first set of initial sites that was identified. The costs, you know, per site are not very high, but we all would know that the funding in the O&M account is limited. So we were trying to be judicious about how we laid things out, make certain investments, learn from it, and then make future investments. So over time that we'll get better at doing this. In regards to, you know, the, the staffing, Moving to remote operations will also provide some additional higher skill jobs. Tiffany mentioned, you know, cybersecurity being a concern. Well, we're going to have jobs in networking, cybersecurity, computers, technology to maintain that's put out there. So there'll be opportunities for these, the staff that may be displaced potentially to be retrained for other jobs, as well as additional, you know, jobs that will be in maintenance for some of these sites. If they were, I guess they, there's no staff there around the clock. Um, you would have still you'd have maintenance staff there that's gonna have to take care of things. So on the whole, there'll be there'll be transitions, but we, you know we've seen transitions before with our workforce. And so so this will be part of that plan as we move forward. We're nearing the end of our time together. And so I do wanna ask you, where are you going next? Like what's what's next for this effort? Thanks for that question, Angie, and I'll take it. Um as as we mentioned before, you know, we started in the spring of 2021 conducting a national assessment. Was there a strong business case for us to embark on this initiative? Um, then this summer, there was an operations order that established a USACE policy to implement remote operations that are locks and dams. It aligns with Lieutenant General Spellman's campaign plan to modernize. And so where we're headed with this is now we're going to be getting developing you know, the, the policies and guidance necessary to make this happen as well as those policy and guidance are necessary to help the first project in Pittsburgh move forward. So we're trying to build this out and then we're gonna start rolling this out. And there'll be more communication with MSCs and districts over the coming months about what we're doing and then in the coming years. 
So the Corps is standing up a national program team that will be leading this effort in the future. Then that national team, as I mentioned, will develop you know, the policy and guidance to ensure that we have consistent national implementation and provide expertise to the MSCs and districts that are choosing to implement. And that consistent national implementations is essential. We want to ensure that this, what Pittsburgh's doing is the same thing that's happening on the West Coast and in the Southeast, that we have a seamless implementation across the country of technology and the processes that we do. So there'll be a tighter integration than we have today, but that'll lead us to greater efficiencies in the future. Well, I guess before we conclude, we should probably first off thank Pittsburgh District for leading, taking the lead on this initiative. It's always hard to be the first to do something new. So I'm really looking forward to the outputs of that. We're really looking forward also to how remote operations works for the core and it helps us become more efficient in the future. Tiffany and Michael, I want to thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and embrace change. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.